0: This is Birth Allowed Radio, where we challenge the status quo around that most basic human right, how, where, and with whom we are allowed to give birth. I'm your host and the founder of Birth Monopoly, Kristen Piscucci. Today, we have Dr. Tracy Vogel with us. Dr. Vogel is an OB anesthesiologist in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who has sort of gotten into specializing in preventing birth trauma and re traumatization during birth of people with abuse histories. And Dr. Vogel and I were connected through her work. And over the last few years, she has, I think, found herself helping people write complaints to hospitals about violating and traumatic and inappropriate medical care and so we thought it'd be a good idea to to talk through some of this stuff for for our audience so today we're going to talk about you know how to make a complaint how to maximize a hospital complaint and you know just some of the context and some of the background about the process Dr. Vogel has actually been on the show before. Last year for the Mother May I series, we did, we did a show on clinicians and preventable birth trauma. So thank you for working on that. And thank you for coming back again.
1: Kristen, it's always a pleasure to be part of your show. I think we, sh- we share similar goals in trying to decrease the incidence of birth trauma and working towards preventing it. So I'm always happy Thanks. to
0: be here. Thank you. Thanks for everything you do. It's not like you get paid especially for this. I think it just became an interest of yours and you really have sunk your teeth into it.
1: <laughs> it, it has been many years in the making. And right now I'll, I'll share with you, we are getting close to establishing what I think to be one of the first perinatal trauma-informed care clinics that exist and we're working on building the infrastructure, and then we're going to do some research and show that it does improve outcomes and prevents, perhaps, postpartum depression, PTSD, if we can intervene early and offer the right kind of intervention. We're going to come with that down the road, but yeah, it's, it's been a long haul, and you're right, I don't get paid extra for doing this, but it's <laughs> a labor of love. Let's just say that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that in the uh, birth world. So tell us what your experience has been helping patients file complaints and how you even got into doing that kind of thing?
1: Well, as I mentioned, I do a lot of work in the preventative sector of trying to find vulnerable populations, see them ahead of time and try to prevent a negative birth experience or a traumatic birth experience. But I'm often now finding myself being called in to talk to patients after a traumatic birth experience or after we recognize that someone has gone through, let's say, a massive hemorrhage or bleeding. And it was really devastating for them. And they have a lot of questions. They need closure on a particular topic. And they don't know where to turn. So the more that my name is getting out there as the trauma person, the go-to person, I'm being called in to talk to these women. And some of them are really for complaints, and some of them are for closure on what happened. But now that I've, I've learned a lot more about the complaint side of things, um, I've had to really investigate, talk to more people about what's appropriate, and what can we do to help women who truly have more than just a complaint. They have something called a grievance that needs to be escalated. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I find myself now is How can I facilitate that for patients? What is my role? How can I involve the providers? Things like that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's interesting you said about the complaint and the closure. I think most people I've worked with who want to file a complaint, to them, it's about closure. Like Mm -hmm. that is the one thing that, you know, they've tried other things and, you know, they're not getting answers or they're just not really getting any kind of robust communication about what happened or what people were thinking or what was going on or why they, why they did what they did. Um, I think a lot of people do see filing a complaint or a grievance as some kind of closure, which is really interesting. And I always tell people, and I think something we'll talk about today is being realistic about your expectations because they don't always give closure.
1: I agree with you. I think it depends on separating out what is it you you really want. What is it after your birth experience? What's the feeling that you're left with? Are you feeling you're overwhelmed? You're, you don't understand what just happened to you. So you, you wake up and you say, wow, what was that? It happened so fast. I can't even process. I, I don't know. And you can't seem to get answers because you might not be asking the right people. tell you. For example, uh, I got called to see a woman who had some questions about her anesthetic and Mm -hmm. the nurses couldn't help her. Her OB residents that were following her couldn't really give her any answers, nor did they take the time necessarily to dig in a little bit, but they finally got me and the third time around to come in and talk to her and I could go through the chart with her and piece it together for her timeline. Then she understood why she was in our recovery room for five hours, because she had been bleeding and, but communication was poor and she didn't know what had happened to her. So that helps her to put it in perspective. But if it's something that you, you're left with feeling angry because you feel you kept saying something and nobody listened to you. Let's say you were in pain and you called the nurse the nurse called somebody else, and it was just this big runaround, and you couldn't get pain medication, and you were left miserable, and you couldn't be with your baby. That's more, I'm going to complain because this shouldn't happen to anybody, right? right? I guess some of it is asking, how do I feel about this? Do I want to talk to somebody first just so I get the whole picture and then figure out that's worthy of a complaint? You know, so sometimes just getting that closure is where I've helped a lot of women. To piece things back together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, we know like a lack of communication is closely associated with birth trauma. And so sometimes just getting those answers is really all people want. And in fact, I would say a lot of times that's all people want.
1: And I think as, as far as when you talk about that provider listening or coming to talk to a patient, There there are really some essential skills that I think these providers need to have. Number one, they need to validate that a person has had a bad experience, which often is missed. It seems like the most obvious thing to come in and say to somebody, I'm really sorry that you had this experience, this negative experience. You can call it that. The patient has to say whether or not it was traumatic. It was obviously negative. Right, so I'm sorry that that happened to you. Can you tell me what your perception of it was? Let the person tell their story, and we have to learn to listen. We're not trying to justify, rationalize. We just need to listen and validate their feelings and Mm -hmm. say, "Well, I can see why you were very, very frustrated," and then use that as a stepping stone then into more discussion about what the patient would like to do now that they've talked about that experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you, how did you get started on, on doing complaints with people? Uh, I think it's just because
1: I see so much birth trauma and it was very frustrating, even within my own system to give people an outlet or a way to to talk about these things. Now, I also have the website and I've helped a few people in other states. And I've also through word of mouth have helped several women just listening to their stories and helping them to put together a cohesive storyline timeline and and give them the right template, I guess, to send their, their argument back to the hospital or their complaint.
0: How, how has it gone overall? Like, do you feel like A lot of the people you've worked with have been satisfied with the outcomes of filing something like this with a hospital? I think they have. I think just knowing that they've done something and
1: to hear someone tell them that I think it's important to have a voice and voice those concerns, I think that helps them right off the bat. Even if they submit the grievance or they don't, it's knowing, one, that somebody listened to them took them seriously, even when I take complaints within our hospital, I will work with providers that I know that were involved in the case. Um, For example, with my own anesthesia team, if there was an issue with communication, for example, I will pull those trainees aside, I will give them articles to read, and I will sit down with them and say, here are some skills on how to approach somebody with PTSD, for example. Mm -hmm. This is what this patient perceived, and I also rope in their program director so that they know. And it goes in their file, but it's not so much punitive as much as it is educational. And it goes yeah. to the staff members as well. And so when I tell patients that this is what I've done on your behalf to get some closure, they have been very receptive. I think very. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Especially if it's a communication issue. If it's something bigger where, Um, it's left them, the event has left them with PTSD. I encourage them highly to submit that as a formal grievance. And sometimes I don't get closure on that at all unless I follow up specifically with that person. Mm -hmm. I kind of leave that in their court then to do what they need to do with it. But I give them the resources and I give them a template if they want it to help them write this grievance. Yeah, and say you know this is if there's anything else you need me to do, you should hear back. If it's not up to your standards and you want me to act in your behalf, uh, you know I'll see what I can do. Can't promise, but I'm happy to make phone calls and
0: yeah, and talk. That's awesome. Them. I mean, I think that would make a really big difference for a lot of people.
1: It has. It really has. Um, I've had a couple recently where they were interesting. Like one was communication. Another one was asking again why, why was I in the recovery room for so long? Why did nobody tell me that I had a major bleed, et cetera. And just sitting and listening and roping in the different providers was so beneficial for them. Yeah. And just to also give them an access point to me as a point of contact, as a safety net to say, listen, if you need to talk about this, call me or I've given them resources for six months down the line in case they need behavioral health or psychological services. They have numbers. I said, if you don't remember anybody to call and you're feeling down, just text my number and we'll get you into the right place. Just for them, knowing that someone's looking out for them, sometimes is all they want. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Knowing that I'm taking that complaint and trying to make a difference. And there is a formal process, which we'll talk about too, but
0: it it seems to really help overall. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I wish every facility had a person like that. You know, I hear a lot of, you know, people who have complained to their hospitals that there isn't anyone like that <laughs> at the hospital. You know, there just isn't anyone who takes it on, they feel is on their side, you know, is willing to like go the extra mile and, you know, make phone calls or provide resources or do those things and gosh, it just seems like a really simple little solution that it would have such an impact if there were something like that in every facility. I think especially especially if people are, you know, the closer it is to the birth and the fresher the trauma is, to be able to speak to someone right away as opposed to waiting 18 months or two years, you know, and, and still having trauma or still having dissatisfaction or being upset and then trying to go back You've spent all that time having to deal with those those repercussions, and it would make such a big difference, I think, if someone were immediately available right when someone has had that experience to express that they care, that they hear, that to validate the experience like you said. it makes it just makes a lot of sense from everyone I've talked to um, in these situations. I imagine like ninety percent of them would say that would have solved my problem. <laughs> I, I would have been very happy to have someone like that. Yeah, I think too, and as my role starts to
1: expand in this trauma-informed care clinic, I could see myself being, and I don't know what to call it, like the trauma officer. Because right now, most accredited hospitals have a system in place where they might have somebody call the patient relations officer or right. The, risk management officer. We have somebody called patient experience officer. That person though isn't designated to the obstetric space. They see and handle complaints or grievances from all across a hospital system. So they might not totally understand, but there is a protocol where they will come, they, they are trained to listen. But what's different about my role is I understand and I know a lot about obstetric trauma. I know what constitutes a trauma based on complications and what we've seen in the research. I also, you know, being a sexual assault counselor, know how, how to recognize acute stress reactions and acute trauma. So one, we need to recognize it when it happens. And if I can find a way that these patients charts, let's say get flagged, I might be able to see them proactively and say, Hey, sounds like you had a significant complication. You had bad preeclampsia. Your child's in the NICU. How are you doing today? Do you have any questions about what happens or anything you want to talk about? And maybe give them some resources for the future, get their names and follow up with them in three, six, and nine months down the road.
0: Yeah. And I I imagine as a doctor too, though, you have so much more of an ability to to reach out to people and get responses from people. And like you said, like you will go to trainees and say, listen, here's how we can do this better. Whereas, you know, your average patient liaison or patient experience person, they don't have that authority, right? They're not going to be pulling doctors out of a room to say, hey, listen, we need you to do this. Or, hey, this is an issue. Um, I think it's a totally different authority level. That's also been my impression from people who have had like these conversations is that with the person who's in that role is that they're on a different level than the providers. And so it's a totally different dynamic. It would be like, you know, it's like a, I don't know, like a, I'm trying to think of like, like a middle management person trying to tell a CEO, Hey, listen, we really need you to stop smacking people's bottoms in the office. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's different from like one CEO telling another CEO, Hey partner, we've got an issue. I'd like to talk to you about it. It It's a little bit better, but you know, here's some
1: research, here's some stuff you might be interested in. And a lot of times the providers don't get the right feedback. These complaints might go through certain chains and they're supposed to kind of roped in all the providers that were involved. But I'm not sure how often that's happening. Everyone has such busy schedules. Do we get everybody involved that we're with a particular patient's case? Or I know they try to, but you're right. It's just the liaison doesn't necessarily understand the clinical picture either. So it's easier for me to explain, here's the clinical picture of what happened to you. And then I'm learning all the skills in terms of and I already have a lot of those skills for listening, acknowledging, validating, being very patient to hear what the patient is. I didn't even realize I was doing what they call service recovery for years until somebody said, oh, thanks for doing the service recovery. I'm like, oh, is that what it's called? I thought it was just listening and taking care of your patient, but okay, I'll I'll go with that. Maybe it's another job I have, right? (laughs) But so I already have learned a lot of those skills. Now I'm learning how the protocols are set up like what happens next but i think the end goal for everyone is to get that patient some sense of closure and satisfaction right take care of them in case it was so traumatic we worry about postpartum depression or ptsd of course and then try to implement change in your system so it doesn't happen to anybody else yeah i always sit down with them and say Tell me what you want to see come out of this. How can I help you? Like, what do you want to see done? Not one person has said, I want a million dollars out of this.
0: Not one. No, they say, I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Exactly. That's what they all say. Because yeah. they know how horrible it was to themselves. They just want to make a difference. They don't
1: want to see it to happen to anybody else. It's not that they're out to try to get people fired, necessarily. Now, some people, maybe it's appropriate. I don't know. But... That's not their goal. And so I'm there to help them to see how we can implement change and what's the best way to do that.
0: That's amazing. And then I know that you've helped people who have been at other hospitals. Do you get the feeling that the process or the culture is any different at other places? And I've actually met several people you work with and it sounds like there's a really caring culture that people are really empowered to better practice and better teamwork. And I don't see that in other places. You know what I mean? Like it's a very specific culture. So I'm curious what you've seen, like as far as like the variation in other places. To be
1: honest, I haven't delved into that much at other places, but my gut feeling is that we're probably far ahead of many places where I am right now, based on all the work that we've done and the communication, there's still a long way to go at some of these other places. They just, they don't understand trauma yet. Trauma in the parturian and and what can happen and how impactful it is and that we can do things differently. But there also isn't enough research out there yet for the questions that we're asking. I think I mentioned to you, um, our article for the British Journal, is going to be published in the next couple of months. And this is in the British Journal of Anesthesia. So I know that my anesthesia providers are going to have access to really good information now. It's going to open their eyes to say, wow, this is happening to pregnant women. It's PTSD and childbirth, roughly the title. (laughs) It's going to be tweaked a little bit. But we need to educate OB providers. We need to tell everybody that this is happening. And then they have to be serious about listening happens they have to listen to their patients and know you can't just blow off this complaint if a pregnant person or a postpartum patient tells you I'm having nightmares because I was not anesthetized appropriately or sufficiently for me for my c-section we need to listen and take them seriously and I just don't think that everyone out there is at that point yet
0: it reminds me it kind of reminds me of PTSD in veterans, which you had mentioned earlier, you know, which was really, was blown off for years, right? I mean, it wasn't until I think the 70s.
1: Probably the resurgence. That we
0: started, you know, recognizing that this is, this is a real thing. It's not just like this, what's the term? The shock. Um, shell shock. Shell shock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, you know, I remember like my great uncle who's in World War II and it was everyone just, oh yeah, shell shock. Like it's, you know, almost like it was like a, like a weakness, you know, like, oh yeah, like he unfortunately succumbed to this thing. Even though we know that like lots and lots and lots of people did, right? But it just wasn't talked about like a real, a reality for so, so, so long. And it kind of feels like that with childbirth where it's almost treated as like like this soft outcome right now. Like, I don't know, some people are talking about it. I don't know if it's a real thing, I don't know if these people are just complainers or they're just like extra sensitive or, hormones, you know.
1: It's hormones, yeah. I think yeah,
0: and I think, in, I think in the coming years, as you know, more and more research co- starts coming out, it's gonna be really, <laughs> it's gonna be really clear that this is severe and it's, it's epidemic levels.
1: Oh, it absolutely is. And it, it's along the same lines as sexual assault. We're seeing what those numbers yeah. are. And it's very real. Right, it's called hysteria is yeah. PTSD from sexual assaults and it's the same thing childbirth is very traumatic for a lot of people and we need to recognize it when it happens but what we need to see are more more research more publications and bringing that research to those people that are actually doing the care yeah psychiatric journals are full of all this art. this isn't anything new from right. and childbirth and PTSD and depression birth journals, midwife journals, they've all been publishing. It's just, we need to bring that into hospital systems so that the providers get it. They Mm -hmm. they read it, they understand it, and we start to change practices
0: to accommodate that. For sure. And I meant to ask you, and the answer to this may be no, but as a provider, have you seen other providers be the subject of complaints? And like people you know, and I'm curious if, if you have seen that, what the impact has been with those providers? Um, Have you seen them go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad they said something, you know, I'm going to change the way I do things? Or have you seen them go be completely dismissive and I don't, you know, this lady's nuts? I'm just curious. Well, I have two ways to answer that. So I have
1: seen a couple of colleagues that have talked about not maybe grievances or lawsuits that they've been through. And to be honest, the only thing it's done to change them is from what I understand is to just make them more defensive with their medicine, practicing that way. I had to give feedback when I first started to one particular colleague and I thought I was doing it in the kindest, nicest way. I wanted to sit him down and say, this is what I found out about your patient. I just wanted to know what happened because she has a terrible complication of a headache and she doesn't want any treatment. She's going home to four other kids with a headache that keeps her from standing up and she won't let anybody touch her back. And when I asked her about it, it was because of a traumatic epidural insertion and in how she was treated. His response was so defensive, almost calling her names. I can't believe it. That's not me. You know, I, I, it was very, it, it's just the wall went up. So it was very yeah. interesting. We have to find a better way for people to understand that. Now, the second one I want to answer is I want to share my personal stories. In all of my years of practice, I have been named on two grievances. And the first one, it was interesting because the grievance was she was angry that I didn't do her epidural personally. And this is kind of early on in this latest job, so about six, seven years ago, and I it was a miscommunication and when I heard that she was very upset I can still remember I couldn't wait till Monday to call her I called her from the grocery store in a quiet spot on a Saturday morning because I felt so bad and I had to find out what happened because from my perspective she went on to have she had a vacuum assisted delivery she was fine the classic she was fine the baby was fine And it seemed Epidural was very straightforward. I was right there during placement. So So you were there, but you didn't actually do it. Right. Is that okay early. And then when I saw her, I said, sure, I love doing them. I'd be happy to do it. As the day went on, it was very busy. My senior excellent resident said, That lady in that room is ready. And I said, Oh, okay. Is she is she comfortable with you doing it? He said, Yeah, I think so. I made assumptions, he made assumptions. It was interesting. We were in the room and and we went through our timeout, you know, check everything. And I asked her afterwards, I said, why didn't you say something again? And she said, well, he was prepping. I thought that's all he was going to do. And then all of a sudden he had the needle in there. So she felt betrayed a little bit and I felt awful. The epidural was straightforward, but it was had to be adjusted a little bit. And so it meant getting her one more dose, which meant she was a little bit number than she wanted to be, which meant in her mind, that's why she had a vacuum delivery. So all of that. But the point is I, I had to be in that state of feeling bad and wanting to apologize to her, which I was immediately, right? And I, I couldn't wait to talk to her, to hear her perspective. And I learned a lot from that session which for me is such great, it's growth. We all make mistakes, and, and I think we had a good resolution by the end. Now, the second one was somebody who I'd seen early on in her pregnancy. We had a full-on different plan for her. She didn't want any males in the room. There were a lot of requests. She had a list of complaints for the whole hospital after she delivered, and mine was there saying for five seconds, A man came into the room to hand me a piece of equipment because we were trying to make the blood pressure cuff a better size for her because she was tiny. So it took me a few days before I could call her because in my mind, I'm thinking I went so in my mind above and beyond and did all these extra things. And it was so perfect. I don't understand. I had to come to that place of it's not me. I have to hear her perspective. Then I talked to her, and now that I know so much about sexual assault, I understand that we needed to do better. We needed to have signs on the board. We needed to train our people that when it says no males, we mean no males. Yeah. It wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that was an important point for me to realize, okay, I've got to turn around and go back and dig in and make it better for others. And we had a good, yeah. a good resolution there, too, and we left the
0: conversation, I think, it it was very positive. Well, this, this really like, this really, um, illustrates to me like this, this gap, right. Where you have people who are triggered, right. This is a trigger. It -hmm. might not be what you or I would consider quote rational, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be rational to us. Mm -hmm. It's all about their perspective and their experience and their, their, a trauma survivor in a trauma and it just really for me just really highlights like this that when you don't know about trauma it's it's like so inevitable that you're going to cause it or allow it to happen just through not knowing about it because i think you or i would probably both be like yeah i mean a guy just you know yep just a little piece of equipment but gosh everything else is so great not having knowledge about what a trigger is that that hyper hypersensitivity and the inability to control that you can't rationalize that you can't rationalize it yourself out of it when you're in it as a as a survivor or as someone who is traumatized and it's you know what i mean it's just like this you know ships passing in the night if you have people who are in that space and people taking care of them who aren't educated about trauma.
1: And I wasn't even at that point educated. I was still growing. Right and, right, and it is unbelievable when you finally get that learning and that training and the veil lifts and you see things so much more clearly, you can identify these people so much earlier and make a change and make a difference. So I think a lot of what we need to do is educate. So that we're not having these traumatic experiences and then having to deal or not deal, but just address the, the grievances afterward.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and it takes a special, it takes a special type of person who's able to take their ego out of it and truly, truly try to see it from the other person's perspective without their own backgrounds and experiences and biases and all that other stuff. And I don't know how you teach people that. I'll tell you it's
1: humbling. It really is. I think I said this on your last show. It's we think we're doing everything right and then to learn, gosh darn it, it's all wrong. I have to learn it all again somehow differently. But we have to. Medicine evolves, it changes, and we're always learning new things. We just have to think of it that way. It's a new skill. We're gonna teach people a new skill. We teach people a new skill within ultrasound, for example. Let's teach people the skills of how to interact with trauma patients for example or if someone has been traumatized de novo in in the no experience
0: how do we sit down and talk with them and address mm-hmm. it and recognize it well let's take a really quick break okay and then we'll come back and i think get get into like the nitty-gritty about actually filing grievances perfect Are you confident supporting your clients in their rights? A must course for birth workers and worth one and a half contact hours towards your continuing education is my Know Your Rights, Legal, and Human Rights in Childbirth course. Really understanding your clients' rights and the context for those rights is a game changer. You can do this. Go to bit.ly slash birth rights. The link is also in the show notes. Podcast listeners, Get 10% off with the coupon code PODCAST. Okay. We're back with Dr. Vogel talking about hospital complaints and grievances. Now let's talk about like the actual document. Tell me everything. What are your best tips? Um, the format. I know that you actually have a template that you've, that you've published on your website that I think is super helpful. And we'll link to that in the show notes as well.
1: First of all, the structure within most hospitals, I, I believe almost all hospitals have some sort of accreditation body that can be the joint commission. It can be the CMS. So a federal government funds that hospital. So the hospitals have to have certain protocols set up to address patient complaints, okay? So if you're with an accredited hospital, they have a policy and a way of dealing with complaints and it's formalized and they have to have a specific group of individuals that reviews these complaints or usually their grievances at that point. So what happens when something goes wrong or you're unhappy with something as a patient the first thing that's really recommended is that you try to address it on the spot, right? If you're not happy with something, try to advocate for yourself. Speak up, find somebody that you have a good rapport with, whether it's your nurse, if you don't like that nurse, find another nurse, find a nurse manager, or go directly to your physician or somebody else. But the, really, I think the most efficient way to handle most complaints, and it's a complaint at this point, is to address it as soon as you can while you're in the hospital. Let me give you some examples. Several years ago I had I was working with a resident who was having not a great day and he was feeling flustered. He was given an instruction to take some medicine in to give a dose to a woman in labor in her epidural. So he went into the wrong room and the patient in that room said hey I don't need another dose and he called her by the wrong name and She was very upset and I don't blame her. Somebody shouldn't come into her room with a syringe of medicine ready to put it in their epidural. So she immediately told her nurse who told me and we handled that right on the spot. I took a step back. I talked to that resident. That resident was overwhelmed, needed to be removed from the floor. We dealt with it through the program director. Done. There was no need for a written form of complaint. So we handled that on the spot let's say you're in pain and you're not getting what you need immediately and you escalate that to another nurse whatever and then you finally get your pain medicine okay that's a complaint you're unhappy you could complain about the food you don't like it that's something totally different and that's not even going to be recorded necessarily as a complaint with your care (laughs) so there is a difference there is also something within at least our hospital system, and I would guess in some others, that you can ask them to call a condition help. It's like a a code blue or a code red if there's a fire, there's a code help. And what that does is it sends out a call to a variety of individuals in the whole hospital. And if you look down and it says, patient is in pain, can't get any help, if you have any way of helping that person, you need to go and do that right then and there. So I think it's interesting. It's like that person has exhausted everything they can to find some help. We're sending out the group text, get up there and make
0: this happen. It's kind of what that does. And who, and who is that? Who's the patient calling the condition help to? Are they saying to like a nurse? Yes. I need you to call a condition help.
1: Mm-hmm. They can okay. tell the nurse. They can tell a nurse manager. Just say, this is what I want done because I'm not getting anywhere with my verbal communication. I want people in this room right now. And I'll tell you, when we see that on our pagers, you know it's getting dire, and you're supposed to be, somebody's supposed to be dealing with this, okay? So that's another system in place in some hospitals to help address things on the spot. Okay, now let's say you are still angry, and whatever happened in the hospital, you tried to address it, you didn't get any answers and this happens all the time. Like I said, I'm kind of unique and then I try to give people closure, but there are people that leave the hospital all the time thinking, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm sick of this, nobody's told me what's happened, I'm frustrated, I'm angry. Anything that you call in to report, especially if you put it in any form of writing, whether that's an email, you attach something to your survey when you leave the hospital, It can be a fax, it can be a written letter, then that becomes a formal grievance to the hospital. It then has to go through that formalized system that we talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, So once it becomes a grievance, then it goes to the committee, right? So then the committee will look at this and they are to respond within seven calendar days to a written grievance. And that response is talking about Either they were able to gather up all the data, here's what we're gonna do with this, get you some sort of response within seven calendar days. If they need longer to get some resolution on this issue, they were gonna send that in writing in the seven days to say this may take up to 30 days for us to find resolution. Then you should hear back from them within that period of time. Now, what happens with resolution can be different from hospital to hospital. Sometimes all it needs is a conversation with the provider, and then you should hear back that steps were taken to do X, Y, or Z. Sometimes they do something called a root cause analysis. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, Mm -hmm. where in a formalized meeting, they bring in as many different providers that were involved. They sit down and talk about it, not in a punitive way, but try to, to uncover information about why things happened, what happened so that they can take that back, to the patient say, we've worked through this and we've changed policies, we figured this out. You don't always get an exact result of an RCA. Hospitals are not legally bound to release that information, but they are bound to tell you that steps were taken to find resolution. Then after that 30 days, you'll see whatever resolution that has come to be. And then at that point, you can say, well, I either agree or I don't. And if the hospital feels they've done due diligence at researching this complaint or this grievance and talking to all the individuals involved and here's what we think happened, here's what we've done. it you still at that point can say, okay, agree to disagree. The hospital can say we're done. We feel we've done all due diligence for your grievance. We're going to sign off. At that point, you're you can take your grievance and go to the next levels. And I guess at that point, either, be done or seek more legal action at that point. So, anyway, those, those are the basic steps that happen when dealing with a grievance. But I yeah. think um, realistically, it might be frustrating for some people because they might not actually get to sit down and have discussions with their providers or find out what exactly happened
0: to me. I don't know. You know that yeah, was- like, that, like that grievance might be the only input they have in the whole process. Correct. you know, correct. So, yeah.
1: And I've talked to people that have submitted grievances and they've gotten the response from the hospital and they weren't, they weren't really satisfied with it.
0: And yeah. I've
1: read their, I've looked at their grievance letter and I've looked at what happened and I, I would feel the same way as the patient in some circumstances to say, you know, this isn't a known complication. That was the response, Sorry, You know, we did what we can. This is a known complication. We're we're done. It's a known complications if you're not doing your job right, perhaps. So maybe what they should have said is we've talked to this provider. We've instituted some different policies to protect other people. So that this is-
0: Yeah, how different would that feel?
1: (laughs) In fact, I told these people, I said, you know, to be honest, if this is the response you're getting and you were still thinking about legal action, I, I think you have a case, you know, this is where if you, if hospital systems would listen to their patients and really get the right people involved in looking at these, these cases, this is where I think we'd stop a lot of the people from escalating to legal actions. If you, oh, totally. Yeah.
0: I mean, everybody I've worked with who has filed a lawsuit has said That was never their original intention and they made that decision after they were blown off one too many times and finally were mad enough (laughs) and didn't see any other way of getting any answers. Right. And I was going to say when you, when you were talking about that response, you know, what I see a really, really typical response to someone um, who complains about like a violation. So I want to make a distinction between like medical care and a rights violation. So say like an episiotomy done without consent or even, even against someone's will, you know, someone says no. And you know, they're cut anyway. What I see a lot is when someone makes that type of complaint or grievance, the response is really typically we're sorry you weren't happy with your experience. And that is a really frustrating thing to hear because it's like not really addressing what the issue was, which was, I said no and you did it anyway. <laughs> like, that's more than like dissatisfaction with an experience. Like, there was a very clear cause and effect. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things that's so difficult about about being involved in this process is like you were saying, you know, if the hospital is just like, okay, we're done with this, that's kind of it. You know Um, you do have to go, you do have to go elsewhere there. You know, that's it. You've exhausted your, your avenues with the hospital. And that's one that I, you know, have seen a lot and and wanted to mention that when people are filing these things that they need to, be aware that it can be re-traumatizing. So like, you know, we've talked a lot about validating people's feelings and experiences. And for someone to get that kind of response and they've said, look, it was very violating, you know, that they whatever, cut into pesiotomy without my consent and I have a trauma from this event and I'm very upset and I'm, you know, there are all these other impacts. You know, when you hear something like, well, we reviewed your your records and everything that happened was medically appropriate, we're sorry you weren't happy with your experience, is really invalidating and can be really re-traumatizing. So I just want to mention that to people that I really suggest when they open that letter, (laughs) when they open that response from the hospital, just, just be really aware of that. And it might be a good time to have support, you know, Mm -hmm. make sure that, you know, you've got some time, you're not just rushing in, you know, opening mail while you're taking care of the kids. But if you have, you know, if you're able to sit down with your significant other or with a support person or a best friend or a, you know, a loved one, and like really take a moment, to open that and to read it and to process it, or maybe even have the other person do it for you and talk to you about it. So that's just something I suggest.
1: Absolutely, I I think that is a fabulous idea. In fact, one of the other things I wanted to mention too, is when they don't get maybe answers that they need, I wrote down there are a couple other places. I mean, basically these are the department of health within their state so if there is a, a violation, like, like the episiotomy, or I've worked with someone, um, I believe she's up in Connecticut, where she, she felt assaulted by her provider. And she was taking her complaint directly to the Department of Health. And she also complained to the hospital, but she didn't feel like the hospital was doing very much. But this was against an individual. And that is something else. Once it goes to the Department of Health, it becomes part of their records there. So maybe you know, if there's a trend with a certain provider, then that mm-hmm. can be up through up for yeah. the yeah. department. Yeah. So that's, some, that's another place where they can turn to at least report what's happened to them if they feel that strongly yeah. in addition or in lieu of going to
0: the legal action. Yeah. And, and certainly the the state board, whoever licenses that provider, you know, that's, and, you know, wasn't, we weren't going to necessarily talk about that today, but I just wanted to right. mention that that's another avenue. And I have this complaint how to, where I put all this stuff and I'll have that all in one place for, for people.
1: I think it's very, very helpful for people to know, it's almost like when you go into a store, if they tell you, okay, here's the service you're going to get. Here also, if you don't like your service, here are the ways in which you can give us feedback and complain and are all the numbers. We're going to give that to you right at the same time that we're giving you this service. I mean, be kind of, it, it would be a little nicer, I guess, if that happens to patients. Although patients are given a bill of rights when they go in and are admitted to a hospital. I don't know how many people read through this whole Bill of Rights, or if it's really Google as to, okay, this is how I I contact this person. I know personally within our own system, and they're working on this now to get it up on the website a little bit easier, but I said to our patient experience officer, I said, "Uh, I tried to Google where to send a grievance. Where do I send it? There's nothing online where do I tell this person to send this? And she said, I know it's difficult. We're working on that, but here's the address, send it directly to me and I'll take care of it. Um, I went to a couple of other. That's fascinating. Like (laughs) it seems
0: like if that's, if your job is the patient experience, you know, whatever, like that would be one of the very first pieces of information that would be available is like, here's how you contact me about your experience.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Me, a name, a number, an address, an email. You know, how, this is how you can get any information to me. I tried to call one of the neighboring hospital systems just to say, okay, I'm a patient. I want to file a complaint. I went online. Everything's beautiful online. I went down and I called the phone number. You don't get a person. You get an answering machine. I left a message. It's been well over a week and I still haven't heard back from anyone saying yeah. I'd like to file a complaint. Please call me back. And this is their patient experience equivalent that hospitals necessarily make it easy. Yeah, and I know. Um, yeah, one of the potential questions was for me was how would I make the process different, and that mm-hmm. would be one of the things is to have this information very clear for the patients right from the get go, right with that bill of rights. Not just yeah. that, we have a patient experience officer, but hey, if you have a complaint, you talk to this person right when it happens. Let's escalate it. Let's try to take care of it. That doesn't work. Here's where you send your complaint. Here's what you can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's like a customer service process, really.
1: It is. It's it's not a whole lot different. It's just your right kind of people to listen. Um, you might need the right kind of people, like I'm saying like myself, that could be a first responder to maybe handle those questions about closure and what happened and and help them to translate. Their, their medical record and say, this is what happened to you. And that might be enough. And then from there, here's here are the next steps. This is what we need to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to make, I wanted to say one thing about the Patient Bill of Rights, just for people who are listening and don't know about it. Each hospital has its own version. And I'm sure that there is duplication across hospitals, Probably. but they are really set by each hospital. And so, and that hospital is responsible for fulfilling the promises of that Bill of Rights. My point is that this isn't, this isn't a Bill of Rights that is given to you by the law. (laughs) I think that in some places, some of the items in the Bill of Rights may be codified in the law so that you actually have like a real right to these things, but generally speaking, it is something that is, you know, specific to each hospital or hospital system. So that's just something to be aware of because the the terminology, I think, can be a little bit confusing that they call it a bill of rights, but it's the hospital that is giving you that bill of rights.
1: Correct. <laughs> it's a good distinction to make because it's not something that's necessarily consistent with the overall legal system and your set of rights given to you by the Constitution.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know what's interesting is, little sidebar, we are working on potentially proposing a bill in Kentucky around informed consent. So some awesome law students at the University of Louisville here did some research about informed consent and you know what the law is in Kentucky. And it was interesting because they provided a couple of examples of patient Bill of Rights that were from different hospitals. And it was really interesting how different they were. Mm -hmm. Like one was like really robust and really positive and really like, to me, it communicated some caring. Like we really care about everything about your rights, about your experience, about the level of respect you're receiving. And it was funny because the other one was like really vague and really just like, it sounded like template language, you know what I mean? And I was just like, wow, this is really, this is really interesting. I think this says something here. And when we talked to the legislative aide at our, at the Capitol, um, you know, she really made the point that there is no standardization here. You know, she was like looking at the two of them and she was like, oh, that's so interesting. You know, they are very different. And wouldn't it be interesting if we actually codified a patient bill of rights in the law for the state of Kentucky? Because right now that doesn't exist. And without that, look how different (laughs) these two bills of rights are. So I just thought that was really interesting because I had never actually seen that in person, you know, never really like seen an example of it so Mm -hmm. clearly in front of me. So, so that was interesting.
1: The last thing I'd like to talk about for Mm -hmm. instance is um, just to go over this, the template, maybe some Uh things, if you are unhappy with something that has happened in your care, I recommend to all patients to start writing things down as soon as possible. The more time that evolves after the event, the less likely you are are of remembering the details. So at least with my template, it's, it's very basic, but it allows you to submit the dates, the times, and what happened to you. So I recommend that you record or write down not just the, the details of okay this this and this happened but also how did that make you feel during those periods of time. I also have a place on the template that allows you to put how did that make your significant other feel during this time frame because they're often forgotten and I think we need to rope them in as well because it's an impact not just on the patient but on the family as well yeah. when traumas occur. And write down as many providers as they can remember. And I want patients to understand they have a right to know every single provider that touches them, right? Medical students, anesthesia students, anybody. They don't need to know their dietitian's name necessarily, but you know the people that are bringing them their dinner. But I think it's important for them to remember who these providers are. And they should be listed in their chart as well.
0: I suggest that you request your medical records immediately. If you can even get them before you leave the hospital, that's a really good idea because it can be, it can be hard to get those sometimes. Absolutely. And then my last
1: tips also for patients is, I tell women all the time, you need to trust your instincts. If you feel that something wasn't right and it made you feel weird, uncomfortable, angry, frustrated. You need to find a way to have your voice heard, the sooner the better, right? You need to escalate it. If you yourself can't find that voice, see if your significant other can See if your nurse in labor would advocate for you. Try to solve the issues immediately. If it's with a provider, let's see if we can't get you another provider as soon as possible, as opposed to letting this fester and you deal with that person that gives you a horrific experience. Let's try to change it early. I want women to know, don't worry about hurting someone's feelings or getting someone in trouble. I've heard that so many times. They say, I don't, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but this is what happened. Like, it is the only way we are going to improve ourselves as providers, make a change in the hospital, is if we get the feedback. You don't have to call us names necessarily. <laughs> we'll take just the facts. However, it's important to... It's say I felt angry when this happened because this is how it made me feel. You know, this is why. I just want women to know that you have you have to speak up. We need to be done with the time of of silencing it and saying, Well, I, I can handle it. It's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And you have a voice and you need to use it. If not to help yourself, think of the other women that you could help that come after you. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I second all of that. Yeah. I just want to see things get better for women. And as I think you you and I have the same goal of trying to end obstetric trauma, (laughs) at least minimize it as much as we can and do our parts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I really
1: admire the work you're doing, Kristen. Keep it up. Keep up all the good
0: work. And I wish you the best. Well, thanks for coming on the show again. And thanks for doing what you're doing. Just because you got to be in your bonnet. <laughs> That's <laughs> right, exactly. Hi, this is Kristen. I don't know if you've noticed, but there aren't a lot of shows like this one out there. And one big reason is it has never been my goal to get corporate or mainstream ad money. Nope. We are supported by folks who are part of the change. In fact, the show you're listening to now is made possible by Evidence Based Birth your go-to source for high-quality, unbiased information on the latest evidence-based care practices for childbirth. We love evidence-based birth for its radical approach to changing maternity care, taking the evidence out of paywall journals and translating it right into the hands of parents, birth workers, and medical professionals so they can make change from the ground up. Like evidence-based birth, you can help Keep Birth Loud Radio an independent voice challenging a powerful status quo. Email us at birthaloudradio at gmail.com to find out how. Again, that's birthaloudradio at gmail.com.